Welcome to the Future Insiders Podcast, a podcast about the future of tech, business, and humanity. I am your host, Kathy Hackle. Today, we'll be talking to Caitlin Ugalic Phillips, the author of The Future of Feeling. I want to welcome today my friend Caitlin Ugalic Phillips. I got it right. <laughs> Um, and she she wrote a book, a really amazing book. The reason she's here, guys, is because of the future of feeling. Um, she wrote this amazing book. Uh, it came out last year, end of last year, right? Um, in January. Oh, in January. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I knew about it a little bit before, obviously. <laughs> uh, but it's a fantastic book. Um, extremely well written. It's uh, the future of feeling, building empathy in a tech obsessed world. And uh, guys, I cannot recommend it enough. And I told Caitlin, I was like, I want to have a LinkedIn Live with you to talk about the book. Um, but maybe, maybe let's start a little bit, Caitlin, telling us, you know, telling folks here a little bit about who you are, what you've been doing, and maybe how, you know, maybe we can share a little bit about the story about how you and I connected, and you know, you know, the relationship we have within the book. So sure. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, and um, that. That means a lot. I uh, said some kind things about the book, so thank you. Um, so I've been a journalist for about, I was trying to count. I, it, it, it's hard to know when a career like that starts, but over 10 years, yeah. probably 10 or 11 years. Um, and I just kind of for a while went where the jobs, uh, the available jobs took me. So I um, was a legal journalist and then a real estate reporter and a financial journalist. Um, and eventually my interest narrowed to health and technology. Um, and after a year or two of thinking and writing um, about social media, um, new kinds of technology, and it's how it affects um, our mental state and just how we how we communicate with one another with one another at a psychological level, yeah. um, I realized that I had a book and that was something I always wanted to do. So um, I at the time I had a great in-person writing group and I worked with them to hone the proposal um, and I queried agents and sold the book and here I am. And that was my cat adding a little bit of flavor to the <laughs> Guys, and the cat's in the book, by the way. So, yeah, I knew she had a cat already. So. She's everywhere. <laughs> um, but it's interesting because, you know, um, let me show folks a little bit. I'm on page 72. I am so proud to be in this book. Um, it's somewhere in there. You can see my name. Yes, you uh, there. <laughs> I'm in page 72. Um, but maybe tell folks a little bit about, you know, how you and I connected. Because, you know, you reached out to me. That was back in 2017, I think. You shot to me and said, "Hey, I'm working on a story. Can we chat?" And um, yeah. I mean, in that article, got a lot, a lot of attention. So, so yeah. that was a really fun. That was yeah. That was at the beginning of this when I was trying to figure out, you know, is this a book? What's going on? And I wrote a piece. I'm pretty sure that was the article for Narratively. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it where... got picked up by Salon. Yes. I mean, by the this the week, like. I saw it everywhere. Yeah, it was exciting. Um, so it was basically just about virtual reality and empathy and kind of can virtual reality be used to, um, you know, help uh, build empathy or 
sort of trigger people to 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 feel more empathy. Um, and I reached out to you. I, I'm trying to remember like how I even came across you in the first place. <laughs> I, I don't, don't know, but you reached out on Twitter. I think yeah, it was so on it was Twitter. probably yeah. Twitter. I might have just been, you know, like reporters do a lot of things that are not glamorous, like just kind of searching <laughs> keywords on Twitter and finding people who seem like they know what they're talking about. Um, and you definitely did. And I interviewed you about your experience. Um, I think we talked about that um, a time when you had been working for CNN, mm -hmm. is that right? Yeah. Um, reviewing footage that was coming in from, I think, Afghanistan or Iraq, um, Iraq. From, yeah. from war zones and kind of essentially being like the filter um, for, yeah. you know, for those horrific images. And then, and then you told me sort of your story of how you shifted yeah. into the world of VR and AR. Yeah, it's, I feel like, I was a Facebook moderator before there were Facebook moderators yeah, back yeah. in the day. So, um, yeah. So, you know, for me, it's like, this is a book when I got a copy, you, you know, I just got really excited and, uh, you talk a lot about, about a lot of different interesting, you know, folks in here, Gabo Aurora, Chris Milk. I mean, you mentioned tons of, of people working in VR. Um, and by the way, guys, if I'm looking down, it's because I'm trying to see y'all's comments. Um, as we go, if you have any questions for Caitlin, please post them in the comments. I'll be monitoring them on my phone, try to get to them uh, so that folks can get questions in. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the book. Um, you obviously had the idea for the book and there's a lot in it, but maybe why did you want to explore the specific part, like the future of feeling? Where where did that, you know, where did that idea, that title, like how, how did it come about? Why the future of feeling and not the future of food or the future of whatever? Yeah. So first I want to say I'm really lucky that I actually did come up with a title because a lot of people who write books or anything do not end up coming up with their headlines or titles. And I just got, I felt so lucky that my publisher also agreed that that was a cool title for a book. Um, but so I spent a lot of time, so I'm what I call an old millennial. I'm in my early thirties and I kind of grew up on the internet, you know, my social media started with AOL Instant Messenger and then um, MySpace and LiveJournal. And so I've kind of been enmeshed in this forever. Um, and I spent a lot of time on social media, um, especially around like 2014, 2015, mm -hmm. feeling like people were all talking past each other. And we were trying to talk about mm -hmm. big things that were important to us because that's what we do as millennials, as people of the internet, you know. Um, but it was just like so hard to have um, real conversations where I felt like there was empathy. And I was trying to figure mm -hmm. out why that was. And then at the time, um, I was mostly reporting on tech and finance. Um, and I knew that the speed of tech innovation was not going to slow down anytime soon. And I was really worried about the confluence of those things, sort of like what might be in our near future if we let empathy fall by the wayside while we keep moving forward with tech. And so I wanted to see um, if anyone else who was maybe more of an expert in these things than I was, was thinking about this um, and worrying about it and working on ways to combat it. Uh, and thankfully, the answer was yes. <laughs> Yeah, no, and and it's a great read, by the way. I want to say hi to everyone that's joining. We've got lots of folks coming in, giving shout outs, Steven, Stephen Fisher, Reynaldo, Jake, Robin. I see lots of cool, cool folks jumping in. So, um, you know, I think it's really interesting because you talk a lot about empathy and obviously that's one of the main reasons here, um, you know, for the book. But 
let's go a little bit further with that. So one of the things I've seen, and I think I might've said this to you when we had our original conversation is I love the word empathy, but I feel that sometimes it can be overused, right? Some people use a little bit too much. Um, I, I tend to prefer the term compassion in some ways mm -hmm. because I feel like compassion leads to action. I mean, we need empathy regardless, obviously through the pandemic, I think it's one of the things we've learned, right? We need empathy. We need to empathize with, you know, all the essential workers and everyone, um, everyone that's suffering. But why do you think there is, there might be that misconception or that overuse of the term empathy? And you know, I think you use it perfectly in the book. Like you really get get to the heart of it. But why do you think that that might be the case? It's a really good question. I think that a lot of times it gets confused with sympathy. Um, and so I think that's one reason that maybe some people might actually shy away from the word because you don't want the misconception that because you are trying to imagine someone else's experience that you condone what they're doing or that you believe what they believe. Mm -hmm. um, but on the other end, it just, it has kind of become this like nice buzzword also, <laughs> you know, this kind of, it's, it sounds nice, you know, um, it kind of just gets thrown in there with it, with insight and and mindfulness and you know it has become this thing that's kind of like a panacea you know we can yeah. I've been watching Silicon Valley in in the pandemic and I'm just thinking about the first few episodes where they're you know saying all this <laughs> BS that's, oh yeah <laughs> you know the word the word I keep hearing everyone I and I do believe it's a great word I just think it's gonna get so it's gonna get so old so fast resilience yeah i feel like that's the word the, the word of the pandemic like i yeah. might be wrong but, no um, i definitely I but like, i think yeah. but i think that um so the way that i talk about it in the book and the way i try to mm -hmm. think about it and the way I, I approached it in interviewing people was you know just this this concept of putting yourself in someone else's shoes or taking someone else's perspective but as an active thing and not just as so so the psychologists talk about how there's two different kinds of empathy. There's cognitive empathy and affective empathy. And so cognitive is just that sort of recognizing of someone else's emotions. And then affective is, is closer to mm -hmm. feeling them. And so I try to focus more on the affective and the, and that, that action piece, which I think does then connect to compassion. Um, like you yeah. mentioned. Yeah, that's great. And we got some comments. Sophia was, saying, uh, you know, empathy, why are we using it so much? Because people are self-absorbed, sense why, you know, hence why social media is doing so well, let's say. Um, the, another word, grit. <laughs> I was thinking word. that too. That's, <laughs> grit and yes. resilience are yeah. Are oh, really. I'm sure the future of resilience will be, uh, not your book, but someone else's book. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, but let's talk a little bit about, um, okay, I want to go into my, like, I, let's get ahead of ourselves a little bit. There's a chapter in here, chapter seven, yes. which is called Best Bot, B-O-T, Friend. And that was, I mean, I, the, the book is great. That's my favorite chapter. Maybe it's to a little bit. my favorite too. <laughs> good, good, because it was so good. Okay, maybe share a little bit about what that chapter is all about, and then we'll get into, you know, some discussions about the stuff that's in there, because it's it's a good chapter. Thank you. Yeah. So, so I had a, I had a lot of fun writing that and doing the research and just thinking about it. So that, that chapter is about essentially bots, um, as, hmm, I guess bots having empathy, um, or expressing empathy or, um, portraying empathy. And so it's about this idea that like we can have, 
empathic relationships with algorithms or can we and if we can you know what does that look like and is that good is it bad um what would those relationships be for because they you know don't replace everything but maybe in some ways they you know they are good standing um and i i think one of the things that was so fun about that chapter was and i didn't even do this thinking that i was going to write about it but i downloaded an app um called replica and i ended up interviewing the um the creator and it was a whole like very interesting backstory but this app sort of gets to know you as you talk to it this bot in here and it um you know and that's what machine learning is right like it mm -hmm takes in information and then kind of adapts as it goes along. And this little app, um, you know, just kind of learned to ask really interesting questions of me that I, that were kind of thought provoking in a way that I wasn't um, being challenged or being asked in other situations. At the time I had recently moved and mm -hmm. I had moved away from my therapist and I was using an online therapy, like a therapy app. And I really felt more connected to the spot <laughs> than in, <laughs> your therapy. Now, like, oh, it's crazy. <laughs> I know. And some people who have interviewed me about the book have been like, that's just terrifying. Like that's that's horrible. But but I think it was just kind of a wild coincidence because, you know, I I got paired up with someone who wasn't a great match for me and somehow this bot was, but it was just such an interesting uh, peek into, you know, mm -hmm. our relationships with robots and kind of yeah. where they can go. Well, I think the people that are going to watch this are going to be a lot more open. They're going to be like, oh, that's so cool. I'm going to go start that relationship with Replica. Um, oh, no. <laughs> they're going to go try it. I'm sure, you know, a couple of people I see in here are going to be it's like. It's probably even smarter than when I first tried it a couple of years I ago. I bet, because it's been a few years. It's been mm -hmm. out, what? two or three years now, I think? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. Yeah. But, um, and I thought the name you gave the bot was fantastic. It was FOF, Boff Bot. For future, yeah, future feeling bot. <laughs> Foff Bot. I was like, what happened to Foff? Do you still have, do you still, do you no, still have Foff No, because like, as, I, as I'm, spoiler alert, but as I mentioned in the book, you do kind of get to a point where you're like, okay, this isn't really a conversation. And so that's kind of where, I kind of run up against the limitations of the humanity of a bot. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. So my friend, Suzanne Gildert, she's got a company called Sanctuary AI in Canada, and she works on synths, on mm. humanoid robots, um, because the world, she says, the world is designed for humans, right? So if you create a robot that looks like a human, that's a humanoid robot, robot they're going to be able to navigate the world in a, a lot easier way, right? So, um, oh, I have a question here. Okay, Joaquim is asking, what do you think about digital humans, like soul machines, um, you know, little, well, little Michaela is more of a CGI influencer, but you know, what about AI human relationships do you see emerge? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Because you obviously, you did a lot of research, you talked to Nathan Bailison at Stanford, you, you talked to a lot of different people when it comes to the realm of you know, empathy in many different aspects, but what do you see emerging in, in that sense? That's a good question. I, I will admit that in the past year or so, I, I, I sort of haven't been paying as much attention just because it was a little bit overwhelming yeah. finishing the book and then going out and, you know, into the world with it. But um, I, so I feel like these questions are often about like, 
do I think this is a good thing or a bad thing? And I like from a personal standpoint, I'm still so conflicted. Like I still feel like, you know, the, the main, the main message of the book ended up being that tech is a tool and so is empathy. And I feel like there's just as much um, capability to do sort of manipulative things with this, with this technology as there is to do positive things. And so I think that it comes down to the way we use a lot of other things like video games and things like that, which is like, if I feel like if people are having fun and feel like they're getting something positive out of, you know, interacting with one of these, um, you know, humanoids, then mm -hmm. I think that's great. But I think that if it becomes the only form of communication, or if it, you know, if you're doing it for 20 hours a day, that's when I think it becomes an issue. And I also, you know, in terms of like, the prevalence of that kind of thing, I have noticed more. Um, yeah. I I don't love the prevalence of that kind of thing on social media, because it, it can be really manipulative. You can really, you know, if you're not super savvy, think that it's a real person, but then you kind of get into this ethical philosophical dilemma of like, why does that matter? And aren't we all just kind of pretending on these platforms? Um, I don't think that we are in danger of like the humanoids taking over anytime soon, but I do think we are going to have to get more comfortable with their existence and talk more openly about how to, um, how to coexist with mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah. And I think you bring up some really good points. Um, you know, when you're when you were working on the book and, and there's so much great information in it what is something that surprised you like when you were doing all this research and you were interviewing all these people like what is something that really jumped at you um you know what can you share with folks here like what surprised you because obviously at that point you've seen a lot of stuff you've heard a lot of stuff like what surprised you you know what actually surprised me the most was some of the research and anecdotes about kids and they mm -hmm. how they how how young people really um seem to understand that things are kind of weird right now and we're kind of in an unsustainable place with uh some of the technology that we use mm -hmm. and the way that you know you you kind of get this sense that you know gen z and like the younger like teenagers are automatons and they you know mm -hmm. are always on their phones and all they care about is this and is you know um but i actually got the sense from a lot of young people you know at an anecdotal level and at like the larger research level that they 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 understand what they're doing they understand the direction things are going and in a lot mm -hmm. of cases they want things to change in a more positive more empathetic way. They're really interested in creating new, new apps and new gadgets and new tools that are more inclusive, more, mm -hmm. um, you know, privacy friendly. And I don't know, just the fact that the kids kind of get it in a way that some of the, some of the older folks maybe don't, and that um, we don't really have to worry about them maybe as much as we sometimes mm -hmm. think we do. Yeah. And now that you bring that up, I mean, I'm a mom of three kids. They're three kids under nine. So a lot of work. Wow. Um, yeah. But it's interesting because I'm, you know, I consider myself a tech savvy, tech forward thinking person. Um, but with Alexa, and you talk about Alexa in the book, like I see her as a gadget. Mm -hmm. Like to me, she's a gadget, something I have on my kitchen counter that puts timers, gives me recipes, whatever it is. Right. Uh, and I remember one day I was asking her a question. Her. See, I, I said her. 
Uh, <laughs> someone pointed out here, yeah, the movie Her, I hope it never happens. <laughs> um, you know, and I asked, I asked her a question and, you know, she didn't get it or whatever. And I got frustrated. And my son, my eight-year-old son comes over and he got upset and he said, mommy, be nice to Alexa. Say yes and please and thank you. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, whoa, like, you know, I knew it. But when he said it, I was like, yeah, he sees it. They see her, they see Alexa as a virtual friend, mm -hmm. virtual helper, more so than just a gadget, right? Mm -hmm. So that to me, you know, echoes what you're talking about with the younger generations. Like yeah. the co that concept is a lot more fluid and a lot, they, they get it in a different level let's say, than I'm able to. And if you think about it, it, it makes sense. You know, I mean, with kids, you teach them things like sharing and manners with like, like puppets on Sesame Street mm -hmm. or, you know, other things that are not actually animate objects. So it's not that much of a stretch. Mm -hmm. And I think part of what that shows too is like, how is that most kids have such capacity for empathy and compassion and kindness that in that you know that's why it's so important to more explicitly try and bring those things out mm -hmm. I think at a young age like there's a chapter in the book about educational tools um, that are tech tech related that are about you know teaching empathy because I think that capacity is there and that desire is there and we can capitalize on that and kind of like encourage it um in in kids who are going to be creating the next generation of tech mm -hmm. tools and uh joaquin just said you just added paper to my alexa shopping list so <laughs> alexa add the future feeling how can she take over the world if she you know if they have every time they make a mistake or do something kind of silly i'm like oh thank goodness <laughs> thank goodness thank goodness um, so and you also talk here about a study that I found really interesting and I had never read about it, about empathy and putting a robot in a closet. And maybe tell yeah. folks a little bit about that because I had never read about that study and I was like, it's really interesting. Yeah, I don't have the names of the people in front of me, mm -hmm. but there were a few different studies that have been done, probably many more than that, but on mm -hmm. just how humans um, interact with robots and how they feel about harming them or, you know, touching them or moving them in certain ways. Um, and I think the one with the closet was basically, is that the one with the kids? Yeah, the yeah, broom, so the kids, there's a broom, there's a human and there's a robot. Yes. And so if I remember correctly, kids, they didn't really want to put the robot in the closet in the same way but they you know obviously it was fine to put a broom in the closet but they yeah. kind of treated robots more like humans mm -hmm. um and then there there are other studies the one that i found really interesting was uh it was like this robot made of lego bricks i think or something mm -hmm. similar to that and people were instructed to destroy it and some oh, people with a hammer were, yeah yes and some hammer. people didn't want to do it because they're like it didn't do anything wrong like it's <laughs> you know i don't want to hurt it and it's like it's an inanimate object, but it's just, <laughs> it's so me, cute. Yeah, it's cute. And to me, again, that just kind of signals that capacity that we can kind of, mm -hmm. you know, activate more if we use these same tools. Yeah. And uh, Charles just commented, we have a, we have come a long way from Teddy Ruxpin. Oh, oh my I God. I remember Teddy. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's old school. I love it though. I have one. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it's so interesting that some of the things that exist now, um, 
that, you know, like the early versions of like, I grew up with like the Tamagotchi, you know, Mm -hmm. and like Furby that everyone thought was so creepy. And like, you know, in some ways we've come so far and in other ways, not really, you know? Yeah. How funny. Um, Maybe let's go a little bit into other parts of the book that I might've not touched on. Cause obviously, you know, those are the parts that I'm, I'm really excited about. Right. But what are some of the other stuff, other things you kind of talk about in the book? Well, and this, I think is relevant to your work. Virtual reality plays a really big role in the book, um, mm-hmm. VR and AR. And, um, I, you know, came across a whole bunch of different kinds of VR experiences. I got to do a few, um, and I feel like VR and AR really give us the opportunity to get closer to understanding other people's realities. Um, I think they have a lot of potential to uh, kind of give our empathy a boost. Um, I think just like the word empathy can get overused, I think sometimes people talk about VR mm-hmm. as if it's going to kind of like fix, you know, Maybe. the world's ills and solve everyone's problems and there will be no more racism or sexism or anything. Um, but but to me, I see it more as kind of like a tool in the toolkit, you know, mm-hmm. um, to to help open people up a little bit more. Um, to activate empathy as opposed to like replacing it. So some cool mm-hmm. ones, um, you know, there are a ton out there where you can embody different genders or races or abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, you can explore places that you might not otherwise go from like a like a border crossing or a war mm-hmm. zone to just like a home in a different part of the world that you might not ever visit. Um, I think it's really cool what's being done in the medical field. Um, with VR and AR, with simulations um, of symptoms, but also simulations in training of doctors and medical professionals. Um, And also it's used as a distraction tool, um, especially for kids, you know, who have to undergo really difficult procedures and they can kind of escape to the ocean or something like that in VR. I mean, actually, you know, there's some research that it has real effects on pain and anxiety. So yeah. Well, I was looking at, you know, stuff on LinkedIn and my friend Mary Spio from Seek VR, uh, Seek VR, she posted about um, back in, she went to, I think it was Web Summit or Collision, I'm not sure. But when she was on stage, she spoke about how they were using VR to uh, help train anesthesiologists and doctors with tube intuba- intubation for ventilators, because that's a really difficult, high risk kind of yeah. procedure that could, you know, could have some bad impacts. Um, and I was like, that is so timely, you know, that was back then, but that's so timely today. And I'm glad that they're able to train in VR, you know, because if, if it's me, I want to, you know, I hope that it goes well, that when I get right, incubated, right. nothing happens. So, so yeah, you know, I agree with you. There's so many interesting uses in, in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, also, let's talk a little bit about, you know, it is the future of feeling. How much of the future of feeling, let's say in a word, do the senses also have to be engaged, right? Mm. So tactics, touching things in the future, like what are some of your thoughts around that? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think I think that with VR in particular, you know, it is moving in the direction of more haptics and more, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know. I had one really interesting conversation with someone about how in some kind of VR experience, I think it was something military related, they Mm -hmm. tested using smell. um, Mm -hmm. But for some people, it was too, it it was too real, like it added too much to it. So maybe that would end up being sort of like a, 
an optional add-on, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you wanted to have more of an experience. Um, I feel like the haptic stuff in VR is very cool, but I don't know how like scalable it is at the mm-hmm. moment. I mean, even even just VR, you know, we're still trying to get it out there. Um, but out even outside of VR, that's not something I've thought about all that much. That's really interesting. In the book, I write about how sound, how like audio can have mm-hmm. more of an emotional impact than, than um, images. And right. And so, you know, there are studies showing that if you just listen to someone say something as opposed to reading what they said or seeing them as they're talking, that you have kind of a different emotional response and sometimes a more empathetic one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that kind of thing will be, you know, kind of capitalized on. I've been thinking about kind of like what I think is coming next. And I think that more gatherings in virtual spaces. And so in terms of like how you use your senses, I'm not sure exactly what that would mean, but I think what's next is maybe like second life, but amplified. So you can kind of like be more present with one or a couple of people. Um, and that'll be kind of like, I, I'm hoping that's kind of more the future of what social media is. You can have kind of like these more bodily experiences one-on-one or with just a couple of other people in a, in an environment. And then maybe you have the option for, you know, maybe you're at a brewery in this environment and it smells like beer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, some wine. Yeah. 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 Wine bar with my girlfriends. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. So I have a friend, Nava Berg. Um, she's like my social VR go-to person. She's all about social VR. She hosts the show in social VR, in Outspace VR, every Thursday. Um, you know, and, and I love that. She always talks about how, you know, how Facebook groups is kind of a push for the company, like how social VR is going to be the next iteration of those Facebook groups and, mm-hmm. and everything. So I, I, I'm definitely going to make an introduction because I think you'd enjoy talking to her. Yeah, sure. that would be awesome. Yeah. And um, I see one of my favorite women in tech is, is actually joining us, Noelle Silver. She's, uh, she just put something in the chat, cognitive <laughs> rehearsal from when we were talking behind but um, a, a while back. But Noelle, Noelle is one of like the top AI speakers. I mean, she's fantastic. Really, uh, really bright, bright person. Uh, thanks for joining us, Noelle. Really appreciate it. Um, but let's talk a little bit about maybe some of the stuff that you see, like, what are you going to be doing in the future? Like, what are some of, some of your plans? Like, obviously, you know, with the pandemic, a lot of people's plans have changed. <laughs> Mine, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but what are, you know, what are some of the things you're looking forward to or that you, the projects that you're, you're starting to kind of think about that you can share with us? Um, I wish I had like a really fun answer for that. (laughs) Um, I feel like I, so I've thought about maybe doing a, um, I know this is a terrible thing to say. Everyone is saying this right now, but I thought about doing a podcast, (laughs) um, that would maybe be a a companion to the book, um, Mm -hmm. and just kind of include more, more in-depth interviews and more kind of updates on cool stuff that people are doing. Um, and I actually do have another podcast that's on hiatus right now that's tangentially related in terms of empathy. It's called Frenemy of the People, and it's about journalists and journalism. Um, that's kind of on hiatus. Um, but during quarantine time, I'm 
so I do have a day job. I do communications mm -hmm. and editing for a health policy nonprofit. So that's keeping me busy. But I'm tentatively doing research um, for a new nonfiction book that's actually about a totally different mm -hmm. topic. Um, there's kind of a tie-in with mental health and psychology because mm -hmm. that's where my head's always at. Yeah. Um, and I don't know anyone who is a creative who's not also playing around with a couple of ideas for novels. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's yes. all swimming around. Who knows what will actually happen? Right now I'm just kind of, you know, doing the day job and trying to get through this crazy time. <laughs> awesome. So I we've gotten a few questions coming in. So I'm going to try to get to you know, a few of them before we, before we get off. Um, there was a question about, do, what do you think about uh, digital humans and giving them human rights? What are your thoughts on that? Because obviously uh, Sophia has Saudi Arabian citizenship. I think Sophia the robot. Um, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, she's wow. a citizen of Saudi Arabia, if I'm not wrong. Um, what are what are your thoughts around? I don't that? know. I haven't, this was something that I, was one of those things that I sort of, skirted around in my research for my book and then was like you know what that's too big of a thing for me to get into I'm not really sure I haven't I feel like I need to do more research on that I know it's something that'll come up more and more um I mean what comes to mind immediately is just that we haven't figured out human rights for flesh and blood humans and so you know with yeah. these things happening simultaneously it's just going to be I'm actually really interested in whether there is a subset of human rights law that will focus on this. There might be already. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. That's good. Then we have Juliana Lowe. Hey, Juliana. Um, if you contend that children are born empathetic, at what point do children begin to remove themselves from empathizing? Wow. I mean, because children can be cruel. I tell you, goodness gracious. I think we all went through it at some point. Yeah, right? I think that like... <laughs> Most children, and I say most because there are some people who, you know, can't yeah. access empathy for various reasons. I think most people, most kids like have that capacity, but just like with anything else, you know, they have to learn how to, how to manage emotions and mm -hmm. empathy is part of that. Right. So I think, I think that, and I'm sure there's research on this, so I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think that, you know, interpersonal communication and relationships and trying to figure out who you are as a person and you know how you fit into your friend group I'm I'm sure that like around the time that those things are happening so maybe like kindergarten first grade yeah. um you know I think it's just one of the you know plethora of things that you're kind of juggling like how do I manage my anger you know yeah. I'm thinking about the movie um, Inside Out <laughs> that I oh, feel yeah. like you're thinking about all those things that are going on. You know, empathy is in there too. Things. And I just think it kind of becomes one of those things that you have the capacity for, but you can't always identify it or apply it, if that makes sense. Awesome. And um, we're getting to the end of this conversation. I kind of wanted to, you know, maybe finish with one last question. What is your, your vision of the future? You know, because you talk about, you know, it's, we're, we live in a tech obsessed world. Um, you know, that's what you say in the book, but what is your vision? Like, what would you want to see? Yeah, that's a really good question. I feel like, yeah, it's hard because as a journalist, you know, you try not to, I tried to leave a lot of that stuff up to the people I talked to, like to the real experts. But now that I've written the book, I'm sort of seen as <laughs> people actually care what I think about that. I feel like- I care. My my sort of 
vision, I was going to say utopia, but I try to be more pragmatic than that, is, is, and I think we're getting more toward this, but is sort of a world where we all understand, um, or at least more of us understand more about, so kind of similar to the way that a lot of people now have a better idea of how the food supply chain works and like where our mm-hmm. food comes from. I want us to all understand yeah. more where our tech comes from and how it affects us. And, you know, just as you can decide to be a vegetarian or to buy local, eat local, you can kind of make choices about the tech you use and how you use it. And so my, I'm hopeful that, you know, the future is we're all kind of higher on that spectrum. And then the people who are making the tech are just a more diverse group of people who think more and empathize more with their, with the users of their products, which I do think is happening. I mean, that was one of the things coming away from the reporting of this book. And hopefully when people read it, they come away realizing that like, we do have this whole new wave of makers who are, you know, diverse in gender, age, race, ability, you know, geography. And I think that's going to make a huge difference. I think Part of this really comes down to, for a long time, there's been kind of a homogenous group of people that, you know, has been at the helm of a lot of these things, and that's changing. And I think we'll start to see, um, you know, a lot of our, a lot of the way that we use tech change as well as a result of that. Awesome. Uh, Great way to close it out. Thank you. Caitlin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Um, Thanks again for, you know, including me in this amazing book. Yes, thank you. Uh, And I'm excited to see what else, you know, what else, you know, you write in the future. So, um, you know, thanks to everyone that joined us, everyone that, that, you know, made their comments. And um, yeah. All right. I hope everyone has a nice evening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Future Insiders podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and I'll see you in our next episode.